at the Raven 19 near hash. Mahomes to throw against a four-man rush. Fires it near side to Kelce. Comes back to the ball and holds it in. Touchdown, Kansas City. Decker kick starts early on Bosa. He got a run. Him golf throws. It is dropped. Fourth down. The Niners take over on downs. Oh Josh Reynolds God. dropped the ball. She's trying to push the pocket. Jackson throws deep middle for the end zone. Intercepted. Intercepted in the end zone. Intercepted by Dion Bush. Purdy sends Kittle in motion right. Purdy. Out of the shotgun, drops a couple of steps. Going to take a deep shot to Brandon Ayuk. It's the flag. Oh, he caught it. Caught. Ayuk caught it out of the air. A flag is also down. Goff hands off. Awkward handoff to Gibbs. Ball. He fumbled the ball. ball. He got hit. He fumbled 49 the ball. The 49ers have the ball. Bang. Bang. Eric Armstead recovers the fumble. Mahomes will throw it. In the pocket, he's launching one long. Marquez Valdez-Scantling catches the ball at the Raven 30 on his backside. From the two-yard line, they give it to Christian off the right side. Touchdown! San Francisco! And the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. This game is over. The Chiefs have the Lamar Hunt Trophy and they're taking it to Vegas for Super Bowl 58. Welcome to the Fifth and Long Podcast. Welcome back, Fifth and Long fans, to the Fifth and Long Podcast, presented to you by Patrick Damari and Paul Kashak. Kamish, um... I did not have a great prediction episode last weekend, just in terms of results. Actually, I will say um, the Lions did cover, okay, to be fair. The the, the Niners did not cover. However, the Lions definitely uh, did not win that game. Um, <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, let's just dive into that right away because this was the biggest chatter point, so to speak, at least on the socials. In the group chats, everybody is eviscerating Dan Campbell on Twitter. Um, you and I have both probably played several, several Madden games or or college football video games. You know, like once or twice at least. I, I don't know your exact area of expertise. I don't want to assume. Um, more than more than one or two Madden games. It's fair to assume that. Yeah. Okay. We we can duel it out on the stick sometimes. Um, absolutely. But you'll, you'll get the work. But absolutely, I'll, I'll give you a shot hypothetically okay if you're in dan campbell's shoes in either of those situations which it it was fourth and two goff had that incomplete pass to reynolds which was really a drop like he was throwing off balance he was running to his right on that play it wasn't exactly a typical throw for goff to make a lot of more mobile quarterbacks that's like right there in their wheelhouse like i think i've seen mahomes or lamar or um, even to a certain extent, Purdy at times, just that's like their bread and butter rolling to their right. And, and they've got a guy right there. The throw was low. Reynolds definitely, I thought could have caught it at the same time. Are you even, you're up two touchdowns is the third quarter. San Francisco just scored a field goal on you. Are you even remotely considering going for it? Or cause you and I texted immediately after this. I'm not, I'm not considering going for it. Uh, it. It has to do with the fact that you're up two possessions at that point and a field goal puts you up three possessions. You know, you go up 17 points, even if San Francisco is going for two, 
you know, they, that only gets them two touchdowns there and two two-point conversions, only cuts the deficit by 16. They'd still have to have a whole nother drive to either tie you or take the lead at that point. I, for me, that's what would have dictated it. And look, the the other thing about it is, let, let's say Reynolds holds on to that ball. Let's say he catches it, right? And the Niners, what was that, maybe eight yards or something down the field? I can't remember exactly. Yeah. Okay. Detroit's now at what the 20 yard line of San Francisco. It's not like, it's not like they scored a touchdown there. If they did convert it, you know, they'd still have to, you know, keep on playing. And there's no guarantee that they would have gotten a touchdown on that drive anyway. I mean, they might've ended up settling for a field goal, right? I get it. It would have been closer, but look, man, it's perfect conditions out there. It's inside of 50 yards. Every kicker should be able to make that kick. I'm, I'm settling for the field goal there to go um to go up 17 points and I'm quite honestly I'm doing the exact same thing in the situation that he had later in the game when he could have kicked the field goal and tied it. So there was a few it's funny we've we've talked a lot about Dan Campbell all year and I remember our first couple of episodes I think it was after I don't remember exactly which week in the season it was I've got uh, it I, but I, I went I went back in our old episodes and looked. It's our it's our it's our fifth episode, and um, where I said I don't know how if I could trust Dan Campbell in big games. Essentially, I can't remember. I was talking about myself, but I mean, you you might have said it there as well. If I think you go we back, both said it. I think we both points. did. If you go back to the fifty-five minute mark and listen from minutes fifty-five to fifty-eight um, in our fifth episode, we forecast this. So the, his decision-making and a little bit about uh, Detroit's defense letting down. So, so yeah, fifth and long has definitely been on this bandwa- uh, bandwagon for a while now in terms of this decision-making from Dan Campbell. See, I, it's crazy at the same time because week after week this season and even the season before, Detroit has used analytics and this aggressiveness on fourth down to their benefits, and it's resulted in a lot of wins for them. You could even argue – Without this style of play, they're probably not in this game in the first place. And they led the league this year, not just in fourth down attempts, but also conversions on fourth down. They did it kind of at an elite rate. I saw some stat where um, I think it was like they they were, they converted 77% of attempts on fourth and three or fewer this year. That's, that's pretty high. That's ridiculous. I'm not super familiar with what those numbers are normally. But that was way higher than second place in the NFL this year in in, in those situations. Um, at the same time, this is just in reference to the second field goal. Michael Badgley is 9 of 20 in his career from 48 yards or more. Worst in NFL history of all high-volume kickers. So I feel as if Campbell was just more comfortable pulling his season, the outcome of his season in the line of golf and the offense that he was with his kicker. It, they're not known for their special teams in that sense. And relying in that to this point, for the most part has done them well. It just doesn't account for, he just wasn't accounting for his players, not executing the play, right? Like the play was there, the look was there, but the throw was off and the catch wasn't there, which is the most important thing. It, in the end. Well, right. But, and I, I've heard this argument, not just from you, but I've heard it, you know, throughout many sports webs today that, well, they actually, like the play was there, it was the right play call. They just didn't execute it. I mean, they had the drop. Well, I mean, don't you have to take that 
possibility into consideration when you're making this decision. I mean, you, your, your players can fail to execute on any given play. It's, it's the nature of the game and everybody's human. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, it, for, you know, Detroit, who's supposedly so analytic driven and, and relies so much on fourth downs and, and going for it. Do you think it's odd then that Dan Campbell settled for the field goal at the end of the half in a similar situation where like he took the field goal there to put him up 17? Yeah, actually. So I'm actually, first of all, um, I'm actually in favor of both of his decisions to go for it in the second half that they didn't convert. If you look at it, their expected win probability is higher with the conversion in both instances than it is going for the field goal and making it. So, yeah, but only by like a fraction of percent or like a couple percent, right? It's, it, it's, this, like, it's this, like, it's like the first it's one was small. the first one was a one full point percentage, eight, 86.8% versus 85.8%. So there's not a huge difference. It's enough to where some guys will go for it. Some guys won't, but the other play, the second one, it was uh, a 2.5% uh, percentage difference. It went from 32.7% win rate going for it and making it versus 30.2% win rate with a field goal that was the one where it was way more obvious yes this is the correct decision to go for it that was the incompletion to st brown in the fourth quarter i believe but i to your point with the end of the halftime with the end of the first half uh field goal yeah i think that's the way more i mean if you make that you get a touchdown you're not getting a first down you're getting points you're getting you're doubling up your points at that and that was a huge difference in the game to me i think San Francisco being able to get that stop and just get a little bit of momentum going into the second half probably built a little bit, not necessarily a, a shade of doubt in the heads of Detroit people, but um, just a little spark of, hey, we can do this as long as we start doing things the right way. We just got to stop there. We get the ball next. We can get points and so on and so on. Um, yeah, that was that was the perplexing call to me, but not nearly as much actually as um, at the end of the game on that third and goal where Campbell decides to hand it off to Montgomery with three yeah, timeouts and like a minute left. You had you had to call the timeout after not making it, and that was like ball game. I mean, at that point, you just do the math. You only have two timeouts with a minute and five seconds left, and, and you saw it. Niners called their fourth down play with like one second on the clock, whereas – if you pass it on that chance, even if you, you don't get it, you kick the field goal, like you ended up having to do whatever um, you could get the ball back with 20, 30 seconds left. It's sure. It's still hard to, to put up six at that point, but that was so moronic to me. I didn't understand that at all. Uh, I'm with you a hundred percent. I'll talk about that uh, in a second here. Cause I, I do want to give my two cents about the, uh, the field goals and deciding to to go for it. And then I'll transition into that poor clock management at the end of the game. Um, look, uh, I'm on the other side of things. I, I would have kicked it. I, I think that the, especially the first one, you mentioned that that one analytics suggested that that was the, the much closer call. Uh, like, I think that just taking the points when you're up, uh, again, going up three possessions, that's huge there. I think that your position in the game and, and the score in the game has to dictate things. And I know analytics takes that into account, but sometimes I question, I question analytics is um, presence or its validity or its value in terms of the NFL game. I think analytics are far more valuable 
in sports where you have a much bigger sample size, like where you play more games, like a hockey, basketball, and especially in baseball. Or at least a little bit more, the more randomness. Data. Yeah, and there's more randomness, exactly right, like in a hockey or a basketball or a baseball um, than football. And the and the reason that I believe that is it's because why analytics are so much more valuable in those sports is because there's there's more data to compile. Again, you play 162 games in baseball, you play 82 in hockey and basketball. In football, you only play 17 now, and like the sample sizes are smaller. It has less time to to even out. So for that reason, I think I don't I, I think analytics is a good tool to reference, but I don't think it's something to live and die by. And it seems like Detroit this year lived and died by the analytics. Although I would still also say that Dan Campbell's emotions, I, I think, dictated his decision making at plenty of times this season too. I, I like I I think that if you compare the fact that he doesn't go for it at the end of the half and he does go for it here, or if he goes for it in the second time or the first, excuse me, he goes for it the first opportunity that he has instead of passing up the field goal in the second half. It's the same situation, right? You have a chance to go up seventeen points. He one situation. He decides to kick field goal. The other uh, situation, he decides to go for it. I don't really see how analytics is dictating you to go for it in one spot and not in the other. And like we've seen him make decisions and be completely completely content to go for a two point conversion from the seven yard line. I'm referencing that game against Dallas. Like analytics doesn't back that up. So uh, that I like, you know, like I said, I, I you live by the sword, die by the sword. Dan Campbell's owns it. Um, he died by the sword in this one. And like, it's harsh, but um, they lost by three points and they passed up on two chances for field goals. at six points right there. Like I think Dan Campbell is the main reason that they lost this game in particular against San Francisco. I'm not saying that he's a bad coach. I'm not saying that, you know, they lions would have been here without him, but the reason that they weren't able to beat the San Francisco 49ers, I think was because of Dan Campbell. I feel like that's, a little unfair i i don't momentum is real and i appreciate that and i acknowledge it but momentum alone doesn't lead to jameer gibbs running to the wrong side of jared goff on that run play that leads to a fumble that's just poor execution uh there was also the unforgivable missed interception that li- led to that bi- the biggest throw of of the night for purdy uh to i'm not here to criticize purdy i'm actually i actually think more positively of him after this game than i did before it but i'm not crowning him king or anything like that because like i just said the biggest play he had all night should have been a pick that probably would have ended the game for san francisco considering the situation then then you add in the the drop from reynolds uh, he had, he also had a drop on third down a few drives later. Yeah, he too. didn't have his best game. I agree. No, it, he really wasn't great in the second half. Um, Goff in the second half as well, eight for 21 for 128 yards. He was awful in quarters three and four. Um, they got away from the run game in the second half, which didn't make sense because they were eating it up on the ground before then. I just feel like they... I don't know, man. It, it was partly they got in their own head. It was partly that the switch just flipped so fast. Like it was tied 10 minutes into the third quarter. It didn't take long. It wasn't like this big drawn out comeback where 
San Francisco like grinded them out. This was like, I don't even know what to compare it to. I I've never seen a, a quick strike game switch in momentum that aggressive before. And, and I don't necessarily, I think it was more the Gibbs fumble that really, cause that was immediately, there was a touchdown afterwards. And I think that Gibbs fumble really provoked the comeback actually being possible versus the missed field goals that gave, that gave him a little bit of a window, but you still needed a turnover play or something crazy to happen after the fact. And it did twice. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like at the end of the day, when you look in and all of those things that you said, like there was poor execution on in multiple facets, you, you talked about Gibbs um, not running to the right side on that handoff. You talked about golf being poor in the second half um, Reynolds, not coming up with catches, Detroit in general looking a little bit shell-shocked when San Francisco started getting back into the game. Like when all of those things are happening, like I think it's the coach's responsibility there to to settle everybody down. And I I think, again, some of Campbell's decision-making did not bode well for quelling the momentum that San Francisco was gaining. So look, it's easy. It's easy to say this. It's easy for me to sit here and say that Dan Campbell's the, the main reason that Detroit lost because they ended up losing by three when they left six points on the board right there. But I've been saying this for weeks now uh, as evidence. I said, you could go back and look at the podcast and, and, and when the whole team just kind of collectively wilts in the second half, like they did, particularly like second half of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, I personally have to look at the head coach as a, as a big responsibility of that. And then, you know, you get back into some of that poor clock management at the end of the game. You're right. You know, I, I said, I'd come back to it. Uh, you shouldn't be running the ball down there at the goal line uh, with, with David Montgomery. You got to throw that ball every time, preserve all your timeouts and maybe San Francisco still runs the clock out. You know, maybe Purdy makes a play or, or something like that, but at least you're probably forcing San Francisco to have to pass and um, to convert. And, you know, maybe you do get the ball back with, even if you're out of timeouts with like 25, 30 seconds, it's enough time to maybe hit Laporta or St. Brown um, on, on a big hitter and you get yourself in a field goal range and maybe you can send it to overtime there. So yeah, I'm, I'm harsh on Campbell, but I, I think, I think he kind of earned the criticism there and, but you know, he knows the why uh, the line that he has to walk and um, you know, I, th- I think he owns it. I heard his, his post-game press conference. It was, it's pretty depressing. I do have to say I felt bad for him. Yeah. He compared losing the game the way they did to getting their heart ripped out. Like, I don't even think he was being hyperbolic. I think he actually felt that way after the game. Um, It was crazy, man. I I looked into it. There's only been four games all time in the playoffs where teams have blown a 17 or more point lead and lost by three. Um, Of course, there was the 28 to three game, right? Mm -hmm. Which I was thinking a lot about that game at halftime. I was thinking a lot about it. I don't I can know. Imagine that you were. Well, I don't know why, because I, I was still pretty confident that the Lions were going to win, but I was just thinking about it. And I was like, you know, they're not entirely out of this. Um, then, of course, the 1993 Oilers and Bills playoff game. This was even crazier. Uh, Houston led this game 35 to three at one at this at one point. They led 28 to three at the half. And the Bills Greatest ended up coming back in NFL history. Yeah. Bills won 41 38 in overtime. Well, I guess. I guess I have to walk that back. It's technically the second greatest comeback with the uh, the Vikings when they came back against the Colts in a regular season game. If you remember that last year, yeah, in 2022, yeah, yeah. that's now the technically the biggest one. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Um, but 
The other game, this the, the first instance this happened was actually between these two teams. So in 1957, the, the Niners and Lions played. Niners led 24-7 at the half and lost 31-27 to the Lions, which led to the Lions winning the NFL championship that year. It's just weird how history repeats itself in that sense, like opposite results of the same thing. Um, on the flip side of it, though, we spent 20 minutes on <laughs> on the Lions. The Niners, we, we're not giving them any credit right now, which I feel like we, we should at least to a certain extent because they really had to turn it on uh, after halftime to, to make it happen, and they did. Absolutely, man. I mean, I had my doubts. Believe me, I, I've preached the San Francisco 49ers throughout the course of this season, dude. I've called them the greatest team since the 07 Pats. They're my Super Bowl pick this year. Like I've talked them up so much and I was just, I was in awe. I was shocked at how lackluster they came out in the first half. And, and Kyle Shanahan, quite frankly, just looked confused, but clearly Second whatever, week in a row too. Yeah. Clearly whatever they said or whatever went down at the half, I mean, something worked. And I, I think you made a great point. The fumble had a huge thing to do with it. The fourth down stops. I mean, there were a lot of momentum building plays that this team was able to feed off of throughout the game, but yeah, I, I was I was discouraged with how things started in the in the first half because I thought that you know what they had gotten that type of game out of the way against Green Bay. I was like, all right, they played their worst game that they possibly could have, and they still came out with a victory against Green Bay. And now, like, they just repeated the same thing for thirty minutes. However, I thought, I mean, if the second half of the game, the final thirty minutes, that is San Francisco 49er football right there. Scored twenty seven unanswered points. So. That is best team in the league type stuff. That second half version of the 49ers can beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And Brock Purdy is a huge reason why. 13 of 16 in the second half. A couple big scrambles with his legs. I know he kind of had that one lucky pass that you alluded to that uh, that Ayuk ended up catching uh, off of uh, the Detroit defender's helmet. He made but, some other crazy plays too, though. There were, there yeah. were some wilds. Uh, there was the Juwan Jennings third down where he, he had that, that was one, that was yeah. one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. Like, I know. It, it, it's wild. a shame because it only goes for like four or five yards in the yeah. box, but that was just bizarre. And I, I have I no, uh, no coach is going to recommend doing what Purdy did on that, like no. going running all the way to his left and then throwing back across his body like that. But crazy, crazy play, man. Uh, it's interesting to see what, what was uh, crazier. Was that one or Mahomes is, uh, lobbed to Kelsey when he let a uh, full extension and, and caught that ball in the first half against Baltimore. But there I'm sure a, we'll talk about that. There was another throw where he hit Hughes check on, on I think a third down on the sideline where he right. like, tiptoed and caught it after that navigating was it. through pressure. That's when I was like, okay, there's something legit happening here. Like this is, that's pretty wild. And the big thing about that play too, is that on that one, he's rolling to his offhand. He's rolling to the left yeah. side there. So he's got to throw across his body again. And, and again, like puts that beautifully right on the money. You use check was, was open. There wasn't anybody around him, but his, all the momentum is taking them, him towards the sidelines. And that ball still has to be in a, a, a pretty precise spot. And he put it exactly where he needed to. Um, Back to back, huge comeback wins for Shanahan after Fox showed the over 31 graphic. <laughs> So uh, it's a little bit of a reverse jinx there may be going on. Um, the Ayuk touchdown was something that we called last week. That that bad hit in our uh, little Vegas props that we had, the over also hit. Uh, Jameer Gibbs and G David Montgomery, anytime touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey to score two or more touchdowns, which you and I strongly debated 
hit at plus 155. That was something you thought there was no chance of happening. And we got I didn't it. necessarily say that there was no chance. I didn't like the payout of it. I want I wanted it to be a little bit more of a of a plus money bet, but you're right. I shouldn't have doubted it. And then we also had the each team to score one or more passing touchdown and one or more rushing touchdown at plus 190. Um that was a little fun. We're we're definitely gonna have some some good stuff for the uh, Super Bowl and that same sort of ilk, so to speak. We did not do as well in the other game. Um Something you said a few moments ago was that the Niners, like this is the kind of the Niners that can beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And I am going to zag against you so hard because something I said, after, <laughs> something I said before the Ravens had to play the Chiefs was that Lamar had to do this big locker room halftime speech for them to come back against the Texans or not come back, but turn it from a, a tied game to a big blowout win. And I said, you you can't do the locker room half. You can't pull a locker room halftime speech card against Patrick Mahomes. That's not a recipe for beating the guy. You're not, you're not going to do it. It doesn't happen. So I, I don't think they can afford to be down even more than a touchdown against Mahomes. I know they're an awesome team and I don't want to do a full Super Bowl preview here, but that is a recipe for disaster against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's almost like dark night level dark night joker level chaotic in terms of pulling strings with comebacks on his own side you know what i mean like i i don't i don't think you can afford to start out slow against them again you, you've got to do it whatever the opposite of what baltimore was doing in that game was that was brutal we'll, we'll get into that for a second but do you at least agree with me in that sense 100 percent, man 100 percent. i mean you're right like i when, when I said what I said a couple of minutes ago about the, this version of the 49ers can beat the Chiefs, I, I was implying that they have to play at that level throughout the, the course of the game. whole game. Yeah. yeah, you can't you you can't. I mean, what did you say? Goff was eight of 21 in the second half of this one. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, That's not going to happen with Mahomes. Mahomes isn't going to do that. You're right. Mahomes isn't going to do that in the second half. And and Purdy can't get off to a slow start. And you're right. Like they're, if they're going to be playing from behind, you know two touchdowns Mahomes isn't going to let uh, any team come back in that game especially in the Super Bowl. You also and, probably can't give up 30 points either. Right because I mean the way the Kansas City Chiefs defense looked this past weekend and again not to jump into that game quite yet but um Kansas City's defense was elite. I mean just absolutely dominant. So yeah, if you give up 30 points I as much as I love Brock Purdy in this offense um I don't see them I I don't see them scoring 30 against Kansas city. I, I just don't. I think that the defense is too good. Purdy's got to be uh, better from start to finish. I loved what he did um, really in, in multiple facets of the game. Like I said, uh, through the air and adding some, an element with his legs, that could be something that, I, you know, we didn't really see that up until this point. And, and that can be something that Kansas city's defense now has to be concerned with. But I think that they all, they also need to do a better job of getting George Kittle involved. It was it was late in that uh, third quarter that he only had like one target and he finished with two catches for 27 yards. He's got to be more involved in this one. I think he was actually very involved. Did you see the highlight of him blocking Hutchinson into the ground? I didn't, but I I, I know that he he's done that to many of defenders over the over the time. They had him as an extra blocker for most of the game. Like if you go back and, and look at a lot of the snaps he's taking, he's, he's chipping on that same side and, and trying to add uh, another blocker to that area or mm -hmm. that, that was more his responsibility in this game. And this made me think back gotcha. to your argument for, he is the best tight end in football, not Kelsey. And I immediately thought about Gronk, how he was not just 
like the best receiving tight end of the game at the time, but he was also worthy of being probably a top 10, like offensive tackle. If that was all he was doing at the same time, which coaches have quoted that and said that over and over and over again, this isn't me talking out of my ass. Um, that was crazy to me. Hutchinson who had four, eight sacks in four games going into this zero sacks, zero tackles for loss. Didn't even register a tackle at all in this game. None. And he was probably Detroit's biggest defensive key coming into it. San Fran totally shut him out for the duration of the game. Sure did, man. And then you look on the other side, um, Nick Bosa had two sacks in this one. And, yeah. and you know, I, I said how, oh, he's had 10 and a half sacks coming into the season or coming into this game throughout the course of the season. It's been a little bit underwhelming by his standards. And I, I thought he played a big role in this game. I mean, whenever you can come up with two sacks in a, in a playoff game, you're, you're doing something right there. So yeah, you're right. I mean, look at the edge rushing battle. Uh, San Francisco won that compared to Detroit. And um, obviously, you know, the Niners are going to be faced with trying to stop some good edge rushers again for Kansas City. Karlaftis made his presence felt in that game against Baltimore. Uh, back to Kittle, though, real quick, if I could um, bookend that conversation and close that. I'll have to go back and look at the film here to, to see exactly, you know, um, his usage and, and how much he was blocking and where he was lined up in these formations. I just think that he is such a valuable piece uh, to their offense not just in blocking, but in pass catching as well. And, and the corners are a little bit more athletic for, for Kansas city. So I think that he's going to have to step up. I don't necessarily see Debo going for eight for 89. Like he did in this game um, against Kansas city. I think that again, guys like McDuffie and Legereus Sneed are going to be able to cover him and Ayuk a little bit more uh, efficiently than Detroit did. And so what does that leave? It leaves uh, George Kittle over the middle uh, plays like that, but um, I will have to go back and look. That is why I believe he's still the best tight end in the game. Although Kelsey's performance uh, made me do a, a little bit of a double take on that, but I'm sticking with George Kittle. I think he's so talented and multifaceted to the game blocking and, and pass catching. Debo was great in this game, man. You, you mentioned, oh, yeah. I, I was really happy to see him play well, eight catches, 89 yards, uh, got involved in the ground game a little bit three carries for seven yards, not too crazy. And he was definitely playing hurt too. Like you saw him coming off of plays, limping a little bit or just looking like banged up, like not 100% a few times. Um, really, really gutsy game from him, I think, putting on for, for South Carolina. Purdy though was unbelievable in the second half. And that was, I think, really the big genesis of, San Fran's comeback, but besides obviously the miscues and stuff from Detroit, you need to have somebody there that can lead that comeback as well. Um, what were you thinking of just watching those fourth quarter drives, watching him make these plays with his legs and, and helping the Niners not just get back into it, but really dominate the whole second half. Uh, don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way. I'm not comping him to John Elway, but some of those runs and him putting his head down and, and not just taking the slide and going for the extra yards um, reminded me a little bit of, you know, uh, Elway's famous run, the helicopter play where he kind of, you know, he dives and he gets turned around right by the goal line. Uh, to me, it's just a guy I think that who, who's out there really wants to prove that he is an integral part of why San Francisco is winning. And I, he definitely hears the noise. I think he's playing with a chip on his shoulder and he hears people saying that he's just kind of an interchangeable part and that it's the guys around him and that, that it's the system. Uh, to me, I, I saw his drive and his passion on full display there. I thought he balled out. Um, not a complete game again, like I said, but like I, I was just so happy for him 
because, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's a guy that like, there are a few quarterbacks out there who are only in their second year. I mean, he's the only one is in his second year. Who's like, it's like super bowl or bust for him just because of how good everybody else is around him. And I think he's living up to the pressure and he's dealing with it perfectly. I mean, what else can he do in this situation? He wills them to a comeback in this one second straight game with a comeback. And now he's got him in the super bowl in just his second year in the league. And let's keep in mind, he's never lost a playoff game that he started and finished. In the second half, Purdy was 13 of 16 for 174 yards and a touchdown. And he was making these plays with his legs as well. As well. He had two 21-yard gains uh, in scrambles. It's crazy. I, I was actually thinking more of um, like Russell Wilson in his best years in Seattle, where he can throw the deep ball. He can make throws off platform. He's not like the greatest quarterback you've ever seen, but he's pretty damn good. He can run. He can make plays with his legs. You know, he's not going to hurt you for the most part. Although every once in a while, he may have a bad throw or two. Some people are going to really hate that I said this, but I feel like it's, um, it's not the worst comp. And I would say he's, he's really similar to him in, in a lot of ways in terms of his game, but a little bit better than he was at the same time. Um, Russell Wilson was a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He also lost a Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, with Purdy, I feel like he's definitely not a game manager anymore. Like, also, I don't know. I don't get why a game manager is such a negative thing. Like, people use that as a way to deter you from a quarterback to say, like, oh, it's nothing special. It's really freaking hard to manage a game in the NFL. Not many people can do that. If if there were a lot of people that could do it, you'd have. 32 good quarterbacks in a league instead you have like what 15 16 like maybe a little bit more than that 20 if you want to be really generous right so first of all I I think it's really unfair to look at him through that lens negatively and second of all I mean for me discounting the IU thing or uh, discounting him because of the uh crazy IU catch the, the bobble the immaculate deflection if you will um be careful throwing out immaculate in front of a play like that. You're talking to a Steeler fan, okay? And the immaculate reception is gold. <laughs> just, just, just be careful. Don't be. I thought you would like it. I thought yeah. you would like it. I, I, I do kind of, but, but let's remember, there's only one play in NFL history that's truly immaculate. Well, even with that, like all of the great players in every sport have probably had a little bit of luck in their career in big games, just a little bit, right? Not sure. a lot. Some guys have more than others. Throwing it back to Brady again in, in that 28-3 Falcons game. Similar crazy catch where Julian Edelman holds the ball over two guys about six inches above the ground, right? Not, not exactly the same kind of catch, but you needed a crazy play like that or two. Um, yes, I always bring it back to the Patriots. All right, it's my best form of reference. Dave, Dave, David Tyree helmet catch, you could say. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah, the same on thing the flip worked side. against you. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's part, it's part of the game. And even in that um, Seahawks game that we were referencing, there was the crazy play that Wilson had down the sideline to get them within the five. And then, of course, the the Malcolm Butler interception after, which Brady had no part of. And that that play was equally as nuts. You need a little bit of of luck. And you need a little bit of randomness sometimes to, to give you the opportunities to do great things. The key is really seizing those opportunities and playing well there. And 
that's what Purdy was able to do, man. I, I, I'm still not fully in on him. Like I'm not certain the Niners can win a Super Bowl with him, but he's proven he can at least get you there now, which is well, yeah. That's not saying that's not saying nothing, you know. Exactly. Uh, look, I mean, the the final point I want to make on him is you talked about, you know, it's not really fair to just call him a game manager. I don't know any game manager to throw 30 touchdowns in a season. You know, when I was, I was growing up watching this game, I like 30 touchdowns was not considered a game manager. Now, I know it's far more of a passing league now and maybe the standard has changed, but yeah, I think it's a little bit unfair. I don't know if you saw Alex Smith's quote on um, Sunday countdown before the game, but Alex Smith said he's the president of the the game manager club and Brock Purdy's not allowed in. So that was just kind of a, an acknowledgement on Smith's part that look Purdy's doing really, really good things better than what anybody who would be classified as a game manager is. So credit to him. I'm excited for him. Uh, you know, I I'll, I'll be rooting for him. Um, Patrick Mahomes is legendary. It'll be, it'll be a big task in two weeks, but I think he's up for the challenge. If he's been able to come back twice now in the playoffs. Final score, San Francisco 34, Detroit 31, San Francisco advances to another Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan's getting another go at it. Looking for revenge against none other than the Kansas City Chiefs. Again and again and again and again. Six for six for Mahomes in AFC uh, in getting the AFC Championship games since he started, and this is now his fourth Super Bowl appearance. Yes, sir. Unbelievable run for him, man. And, and the road playoff game narrative that I don't know who started that. That was a sham the whole time. Two for two in Buffalo and Baltimore, two of the toughest places to play, not just in the AFC, but the league. Oh, and you're going against uh, presumed to be two-time MVP in Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, who, who's also kind of of that same sort of caliber. Um, I don't even know where to start with this game, but I feel like we have to start with Mahomes and Kelsey and, and just how these guys have shown up and been able to set the tone for, for this franchise kind of out of nowhere. Um, it's crazy, but really, really impressive. 14 career playoff wins for Mahomes. Third all-time behind Brady with 35. <laughs> That's awesome. 35. And Montana, 16. That's all in six seasons. Six seasons, uh, 14 playoff wins. And he could add another one to it. Yeah, sure could, man. Uh, and that is a perfect place to start. Look, uh, I don't know if Travis Kelsey's listening to our podcast or something like that, but uh, he played with a chip on his shoulder. And I've been saying that he's not the best tight end in football. And I've already confirmed that I, I still would take Kittle over him. But man, he uh, he made me, like I said, do a little bit of a double take on that take because holding every single one of his targets um, and tough catches too. Uh, you know that touchdown yeah. catch, to, t- that touchdown catch to open things up on the back shoulder against Kyle Hamilton, who we talked about that potentially being a matchup to look out for last week. Hamilton versus Kelsey, and I that was the Ham- first touchdown Hamilton gave up to a tight end all year. By the way, that one. There, there. you go. And, and I said Hamilton was going to win that matchup because I thought, you know, he's, he's younger, he's quicker, a little bit more athletic. Not not the case. Kelsey uh, shielded him pretty well on that on that ball and, and made a phenomenal catch going to the ground. And then, dude, that that Mahomes scramble play where he like I alluded to it earlier, where he he lobs it. It's only about a four or five yard game. I know Kelsey, exactly what you're talking Kelsey about. Kelsey full extension, man. I mean, unbelievable. Play. So nice. 
it's one thing to get your hands on that ball too, but it's another thing to protect it and make sure that that ball doesn't hit the ground or at least, you know, jar a little bit loose in, in your arms. It just, he is so talented. Um, I, you know, I really shouldn't be taken away from him. Uh, and yeah, I mean, integral part, obviously why they won uh, showed up in a big, big way here. I mean, he resumed that dominant, you know, wide receiver one role for, for Kansas city in this matchup. So good to see for him and him and Mahomes are clicking. And I got to say, man, I, I mean, it's, it is right there. If not passing Brady Gronk combination territory, I know that's tough for you to hear, but I mean, with, with the accolades and what they're building right now, it is tough to argue. I still think, well, one Gronk and Kelsey are the same age. Okay. Gronk has played fewer seasons and had a few lost postseasons to injury. He could still be playing right now, if not for those. And I think they would be, I think Gronk would be considerably ahead still, but you know, staying healthy and all of that is part of it. Right. And uh, Gronk had an incredible career, but it's not just Gronk, man. It's Montana and rice too. Like these guys are passing those guys. They're passing everybody. Kelsey now has the most receptions in postseason history with 150 plus. Now the, the, the record was at 152. Uh, I, I think now with, I mean, he had 11 grabs for 116 yards and a touchdown in this game. <laughs> Holy shit. That's so, that's so good. Like in terms of what, what we were saying a few weeks, how we just needed him to have a few big plays or like a big game or something like that. He's showed up and then some, and, and he's dating this superstar and Taylor Swift, who I, I, I'm not trying to make the segment about her, but it's part of the whole narrative too. Like, this guy is taking on a whole nother persona now in terms of NFL history and how people look at him. He's becoming like a cross platform superstar almost. Um, I saw something, I saw some stat where people were saying that uh, I think it was via the athletic. They put out an article that said that Taylor Swift has generated like 330 something million dollars in revenue or something for the NFL, which is ridiculous. I don't doubt it. I mean, she's, she's, she's across the globe. She's arguably maybe the, one of the most famous people in the world. Again, um, not to, not to make this Taylor Swift podcast. That's not what I'm doing right here. I'm, I'm more trying to highlight Kelsey, but I feel like that does kind of tie into it too, to a certain extent, you know? Well, I mean, you make you make a fair point. Like I've talked to people who aren't big sports fans who um, either say that like, you know, they're aware of what the chiefs are doing now, or maybe it's, you know, not necessarily because of them or it's because they're talking, you know, their girlfriends want to watch it now. And, um, I mean, there's just, yeah, there's a new, uh, audience, I guess that that's opened up to, to the NFL because of Taylor Swift. So like, um, yeah, it's almost like to- the, the bulls at one point when Dennis Rodman was dating Madonna, like that did happen. People don't talk about it now. Cause we're all you and me and like most of our friends were late twenties that that was around like when we were born, if not before that, but mm-hmm. that's the, that's like, you know, you've got Michael Jordan and then you've got one of his sidekicks dating some music superstar it's crazy yeah i mean uh, i guess it is the same thing really so uh good job for travis kelsey to put taylor swift on the map that's what that's what i gotta say (laughs) (laughs) put taylor swift on the map jeez uh clip that one (laughs) yeah Um, all right and let's stop with the t swift talk and get back this is a football (laughs) podcast at at the end of the no 100 100 uh there's i've I can't believe it. I was on my deep dive with this game and some Super Bowl stuff. I got lost in a thread for like 20 minutes about how Taylor Swift is going to make it from her concert in like South America or something to Vegas in time for the Super Bowl. I don't know. I believe it's Japan. And is it actually, Japan? 
Yeah, actually, she should be fine because, like, I think. Uh, so you've seen that, it too. <laughs> yeah, well, the way that the, the way the time zones line up, I, I think she's good because Japan's so far ahead. So she should be there in plenty of time. She's doing her concert Saturday night. It's a long flight, but um, because they're they're ahead, she should be fine. We need like a Christopher Nolan style in, Inception Taylor so, Swift journey to this game. Jeremy, something like that, man. So much for uh, getting off of Taylor Swift and get back into football topics. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, going back to Mahomes, all right. I people are saying this is the prime of his career, right? It's really not. He's only 28. He could play for another. I mean, we saw how old Brady played too. Mahomes takes great care of his body. He hasn't had any like crazy drastic injuries. Even Brady had the ACL tear. We missed the whole season, right? So He's yet to have any injuries, and I hope he doesn't. There was that one sack in the game where he kind of got pulled like backwards and almost did like a like a yoga pose that really scared me. When when that happened, I thought he was gonna come up limping or something, but he was totally fine. Did, do you do you know what sack I'm talking about? Absolutely, yeah. I was actually uh, I was watching the game with a, a couple of friends of mine who are uh, in grad school to to be physical therapists, and they were all like, "Ooh, they they thought it was a." significant injury obviously they they work and deal with that on on a daily basis and it did look like he got his knee bent back and like ankles rolled back under him but um fortunately enough i guess he was able to come out unscathed and pretty good balance like you said to uh to not go down he technically wasn't down they didn't call him down on that play so i mean yeah he's just so gifted in in so many facets of the game not just with his arm but you know he's able to do so many things with his his body as well i saw a clip from um i don't remember if it was from a performance institute or like what but i saw some kind of highlight of him in a workout session not lifting weights really but just doing random exercises like practicing flexibility poses and they showed him doing that exact same sort of backwards bend that he got sacked in that exact same body position so to me that just Got my brain turning in a whole different direction. Like Brady had his whole pliability thing, right? Like trying to be like flexible and trying to like stay healthy and keep your body in a certain shape, right? He did a lot of other crazier outlandish things. Mahomes isn't really like that tinfoil hat level type type stuff, you know? But um, he's finding things that work for him. He's at the state in his career now where he's going to have a routine and he could still have a whole nother peak ahead of him. Again, bringing it back to Brady, he had the first run of three Super Bowls, and then he had the next run way later in his career. Mahomes hasn't had that stopping point yet where it seems like there's going to be a gap because we haven't seen him fail when he's gotten to that Final Four situation. Um, it's pretty absurd. Yeah, dude. I Look, I, to me, this is the prime of his career, but I, I hear where you're going with your initial point that, like, his prime might be going on for the next five, 10 years per se. And or so, we could not even be scraping the surface of it. Like we've may, seen how much the offense has not. changed in the last 10 years. It could equally like, who's to say, we don't know how long Andy Reed is going to coach for, right? Who's going to take over after that. When, when Mahomes is still in Kansas city at the twilight era of his career, what if, what if it's like a, like, a McVeigh or something like that. And he ends up with another offensive genius who tries to hyper blow his offensive prowess and stuff and, and really leans into him throwing 
uh, throwing the ball more and more effectively. I, I don't think we've scratched the surface in terms of seeing what this guy can really do. I think there's a lot more ahead and it kind of scares me. Um, Cause I've said before, I think he needs eight to pass. I think he needs eight Super Bowls to pass Brady because one of Brady, they're three and three against each other career wise. And Brady has the Super Bowl win over him. So if they got to seven Super Bowls, Brady has the head to head. He would need the eighth. No matter how many records he breaks, I'm I'm always going to stand by that. Yeah, I wouldn't go quite that far, but um, I think we'll have plenty of time to talk legacy and compare him to Tom Brady in, in the coming weeks. And if he does win the Super Bowl, that's a, a discussion. That, well, here's that what we I'll say. Have. Here's what I'll say. In terms of even right now, he's probably a guaranteed Hall of Famer, right? Like I, I think his body of work like he's got multiple MVPs. He's got multiple Super Bowls. I think, yeah, he could retire today. And I think they put him in the hall of fame, even with just basically a six year career. 100%, 100% agree with you. Um, and, and this, the difference in how just the, like how Patrick Mahomes was in this game versus how Lamar was in this game. And Lamar was actually, he wasn't like bad, but just in terms of the efficiency and the effectiveness of the offense and everything, it was totally, totally different. You saw Baltimore try to lean into the pass early. I don't know why they got away from the run game, uh, considering they had the best running offense in the league this year, and the Chiefs were like 28th in the league coming into the game and run defense. Um, Baltimore came out gunslinging, and, and I said that I predicted they were going to do that last week when I was trying to give a some sort of game plan prediction. And they did, but I didn't realize they were going to try to do it the whole game. <laughs> I thought that they would try to put more design runs in for Lamar or, or Gus Edwards. Gus, Gus Edwards barely touched the ball in this game. It was, I don't understand what in the hell Todd Munkin was doing. I'm glad you brought this up because I got some numbers that, that are jarring. The, the pass to run ratio was 37 passes to 16 runs for, for Baltimore. You heard that, right? They only ran the ball 16 times. And some of those rushes were uh, Lamar scrambles. So there weren't even 16 designed runs in this game for the Ravens. That that's unex that's terrible. I, you know, Todd Munkin's gotten a lot of praise this year for the job that he's done as offensive coordinator there. But like, if I'm a prospective team considering hiring him either this year or the next, I'm hanging up the phone because this game plan was horrendous. You said it, uh, you said it yourself, Kansas city's weakness is, is on the ground. They're a top three passing defense. And why is Baltimore forcing Lamar to throw the ball nearly 40 times? I, I, I don't get it at all. Lamar is a generational athlete. He's a generational talent. But, and this is not, this, this is going to sound like it, but it's not really an indictment on him. Like he can't just sit back there and throw the ball nearly 40 times a game. It there, felt not, like they were trying to prove a point. Yeah. And, and and there's not many quarterbacks that can. OK, like I, I like Brock Purdy a lot. I don't think Brock Purdy can go sit back and throw the ball 40 times a game. He threw it 30 times against Detroit. And that was in comeback fashion. Like, I think that that is the the cap in which that a guy like Brock Purdy should throw the ball. And I think it should be the same thing for Lamar Jackson. He's so valuable with his legs. He ran for 100 freaking yards against Houston. Why is he only, you know, running eight times? And, and again, like I alluded to, even fewer of those were designed runs. Like, I think that Baltimore, like they get caught up in this, like how good of an athlete Lamar Jackson is. And he is, he's so talented. 
And they kind of think like, oh, he can do everything. So let's make him do everything. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, Kansas City did not run the ball very effectively in this game, but they still gave the ball to Isaiah Pacheco 21 times. And I think, oh, they fed him so much in the first half, too. Exactly. And I think every one of us would say that Patrick Holmes is the best quarterback in the NFL. And even with that, Andy Reid still had the confidence to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands 21 times. And even though the ground game wasn't like humming, they stuck with it. Baltimore could learn a lesson from that because you can't put everything on Lamar Jackson's shoulders. It's not fair to him, and it's not a good game plan. And it came back, it, it came back to bite him. 75.5 passer rating here. Only 54% of his passes were completed. I, I, I did think that he made a couple really uh, like dazzling plays. The touchdown yeah. to Zay Flowers was, was incredible. It wasn't but just it, that, too. He evaded a couple of sacks and made some pretty crazy runs on those. Like th- He was doing things in that game that reminded you who he is and that he is he is one of one in, in a lot of ways, right? It's just... He is. I, I just don't know if you can rely on him to not just win a Super Bowl for you, but even get you to the game in the first place. You know, well, like clear, clearly at this point, that's that's still the narrative. I think that he's debunked that he can't win in the playoffs. He does have two playoff wins now, but it's just unfair to ask a guy to do this much. I mean, that no other quarterback w- was asked, you know, that on a team that's this deep in the playoffs, nobody else was asked to do this much. He was you know, even he was, his team's second leading receiver at halftime. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You, just again, just because a guy can run and throw the ball doesn't mean that you should do it every play. Terrible game plan from Baltimore. I didn't think Lamar played his best game by any stretch of the imagination, but he wasn't to me. It was coaching that the, and, and game plan for, for me. That was was the number one reason why Baltimore lost this game. And it wasn't even like. Uh, so you talked about the run game. Right. Okay. They had 16 runs for 81 yards all game. That's a pretty good. It's like what around like five yards per carry, more or less. Yeah, a you lot mentioned of that Gus Edwards scrambles. You talked about Gus Edwards. He only had three carries in this game. They went for like 28 yards. Yeah. Well, you know why? At least give him like seven, eight, maybe close to ten touches. Come on. The Ravens went uh, on early downs. They called they called pass plays 69 percent of the time against the NFL's fourth best pass defense. And a lot of these, they weren't like quick passes, like getting the ball out of Lamar's hands. These were like, they were trying to take shots and Lamar was having to go in his like second, third, fourth read. And they were almost trying to rely on him on his legs a little bit too much. And I'll credit Steve Spagnola for the game plan he had drawn up. He had this, uh, I forget if they called it a cage blitz or a cage rush or once, but he essentially designed a, a certain kind of rush pattern just for this game where they were trying to clog up the rush lanes essentially in, in certain areas, not just on the inside, but also by bracketing Lamar into the pocket so that he couldn't really, not just that he couldn't go around, but so that there wasn't space really inside for him to go through those lanes and the guards that we, in between the guards and tackles, like we always see him do. And you saw, and like we saw him do a lot against Houston the prior week. Yeah. And he looked like, like he was boxed in a lot of times. I, I, I've, it was a really unique game plan, which I was noticing as it was happening. And I didn't realize how, look, Andy Reid gets a lot of credit for this team as he should. He is a, he's a great head coach. He's an offensive mastermind. He's done it now on multiple locations. He led the Eagles to Super Bowl. They didn't win, but he got them there. He's been amazing in Kansas city. Um, 
But Steve Spagnuolo might be the best defensive coordinator in football as well at this point. He inherited this defense in 2019 when it was the 31st ranked unit in the league, and now they're top two. And they've got the youngest average age of defensive starters in the league, right? We've talked about the Packers all year and how young their offense is. This Chiefs unit is even younger, and they are like blowing the production of the Packers out of the water in terms of big plays and big games. Um, They've got a lot of great players on that side of the ball and Spagnolo being in charge of it is like, it's, it's perfect, man. It's a great, it's an awesome matchup. I I don't know if Brady had an awesome defense really early in his career and it helped him to a couple of Super Bowl wins. And I, I don't think anybody had this on the cards for Mahomes a few years ago, thinking it would be like, I mean, they won this game 17-10. They, they didn't score a single point the whole second half, you know? But they, right. they, and, they stopped the Ravens all game. Yeah, and they only gave up a field goal the, the whole second half. I got some numbers here for you. Um, they're, they're Patrick Mahomes numbers, but I think when you hear them, it'll speak to, to how good the defense has actually been. So this year, Patrick Mahomes had the worst TD-to-pick ratio that he's ever had in his career. It was 27 touchdowns, 14 picks, basically 2-1. to one. He had the worst passer rating of his career. It was 92.6, still a pretty good number. I think that's right around, um, that's still above league average. And he had the second fewest yards that he's ever had in a season and the fewest yards that he's ever had in a, in a full 17 game season. Despite all of that, in essence, this is the worst year Patrick Mahomes has ever had in the NFL. <laughs> Despite all of that, the, the Kansas city chiefs are still in the super bowl and don't get me wrong. Okay. They're not, they're not here without Patrick Mahomes. He is reason number one, but reason one a is how good this Kansas city defense has played shut down Miami to seven points in the wild card round. Buffalo was able to put 24 on him, but Kansas city's defense held late. And then they only let Baltimore score 10 here. Uh, this defense is legit and it is very, very good. And it is an integral part to why Kansas city is playing for another Lombardi. Legarius Sneed, that fumble punch against Flowers. Flowers, by the way, had a horrendous second half in this I game. I wanted to talk about him. Yeah, there's it, so much to dive into there. Like, he had the touchdown. He had a few big plays, but there was also the big play where he had the taunting afterwards, so it got negated, which was really, really dumb. Then there was, of course, the fumble where I can't tell you how many times I've heard some coaches say, like, no matter what, never, ever, ever extend the ball to the goal line in that situation because it can and will lead to fumbles. A lot of guys do it and nothing happens, but a lot of times things do happen too. And this was the perfect example of that. Yeah, clearly, Uh, you know, and and he's got what, two, three defenders all around him too. Yeah. Momentum killer. They were, they they score there. That's, that's ball game. Just you're going to be able to, it's not ball, well, game. Not ball game, but they, they're still down. They're still down. I think at that point they were down 10, but like, I, I hear what I meant was the, completely different. The fumble felt like the ball game more. So, Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And, and we haven't talked about Lamar's interception on the, the following drive or maybe. Yeah. Like that was pretty bad that. too. But, but my point on that is okay. Maybe if Zay flowers is a little bit smarter with the ball, maybe Lamar's not forcing it into that window or, you know, maybe the game plan's different there only down a field goal. And, and so again, like the complexion of the game can change entirely. That play is one of the reasons why I'm not putting this solely or primarily on Lamar Jackson, even though he didn't play his, his best game. And I, I, I hate to be critical of Zay flowers here because he was the best receiving option for Baltimore. And he had a phenomenal game in this one. Let me look up the, uh, his numbers. He had, 
on the day he had five, he was five for 115 and a touchdown. Yeah. But man, you know what? It, some of his inexperience showed at the worst times. You talked about extending near the goal line, um, maybe a better uh, option to just kind of tuck it there and, and, and get down. And then the taunting penalty after, after his big catch to set him up there. I, you know, I know that the Ravens were able to get back to, to the goal line basically before he fumbled, but you know, you wonder how that dictates the, the play calling from there. Maybe they're able to run the ball a little bit more if he doesn't put him back 15 yards. It's little things like that. It, it's his inexperience showed in this game. And it was unfortunate because I, I do think he's going to blossom into a really, really good receiver, but this is going to be a big, big learning moment for him. Um, I was, it was unfortunate for his sake that, you know, those, those two crucial things really ended up being the backbreaker and the killer for Baltimore because he was so instrumental in, in, I guess, keeping them in the game to that point, but he's got to clean that up. I hope he looks back on it and uses this game as a learning experience. So we talked about how the the road playoff game narrative against Mahomes was like total bullshit. On the other hand, the narrative about the referee that they brought in the referee crew who calls penalties more often against home teams than like anybody else in the league. That was totally on point. Uh, Baltimore had nine penalties for 95 yards in this game. Kansas City had three for 30. And there were several, several pass interference calls that could have been called against Kansas City that I saw that nothing happened. I, I think there was like, there was at least four or five that I can think of. One of them was actually that pick in the end zone. Likely gets absolutely like, he gets like blown outside the back of the end zone before the ball even gets there. He can't well, make a play I, on the ball. I think you might be overplaying it a tad there. They had Gene Steratore on there and he said that there was a little bit of bumping, but he liked the no call on that one. There, there was a little bit of contact there. I didn't think that that one was that agreed. There was the other one it. where um, I don't remember if it was flowers or if it was Aguilar, maybe who uh, it was like, uh, no, it was, Isaiah, it was likely again. I, I on think the other I know the one you're talking about. He got yeah. pulled back and the ball gets thrown over his head and there's nothing. You're, yeah. You're talking about the one where, where Lamar throws it and, and it ends up out of bounds and likely's right. And likely's in like the middle of the field and they kind of show him that he gets held. Yeah. There right? was, a, there was another one as well against OBJ, I think where he was like hands up afterwards looking around. Like, I can't believe you didn't call that. So the likely um, penalty or, or lack thereof, what that comes down to, and there's a, there was a similar call that that happened in the in the Steelers Bills game. What that comes down to there is whether that contact occurred, whether the ball was in the air or not, or before the ball was actually thrown, because yeah. that ball was clearly uncatchable. Likely, is at like in at like the numbers or the hash marks, and the ball is thrown out of bounds. If the contact occurs before Lamar Jackson releases the ball, then it's either illegal contact or defensive holding. But if that foul occurs in the air, which I believe is the argument that the officials were making, it's a good no call because then it, the the ball is uncatchable. Now I didn't, I haven't seen a side by side shot of when Lamar actually released it and when the contact occurs. But that's the that's the thought process there by the officials on on, on the likely no call, um, just that the ball was was already in the air and it's it's uncatchable there. So the over under going to this game, um, I don't remember exactly where it was. Uh, 44, I believe, or 44 and a half. Somewhere yeah, there. it was somewhere around there. It, this went under by a lot. 17-10 final score. There were six total points scored in the last 40 minutes and change of game time. It was an absolute defensive slugfest. Um, it just felt like 
Baltimore was getting bullied or like there was a little bit of nerves or a little bit of both. I, I don't know what, um, like the run game wasn't on. They weren't even trying to go with it. You could tell that Lamar was frustrated. Uh, he also had some, some bad reads and, and situations where he kind of held the ball too long. Maybe some of that was from kind of being boxed into the pocket. Like we saw this was the first game all season in which Lamar attempted a pass where the Ravens were down by more than a touchdown. Wild. Uh, that is a wild stat down by more than a touchdown. Yeah. Just by more that's than all. a touchdown. That, Cause that's not, that's not a big margin. No. And it was the first game all season. And this was actually <laughs> the, the largest deficit the Ravens have had in 31 games, the 10 point deficit at one point in the game, when it was 17, seven, two years and change. Uh, De- December 12th, 2021 was that other game where they had a 10 point deficit. That's how long it's been since they trailed by that much in a game. And I thought about it and I thought maybe that was the reason why they were passing it so much was because to them being down that much, it felt like they were down by 20 against Mahomes, which I could totally understand. Well, but you know what? I, I, I gave this some thought as well. I mean, it's 10 points. They're down 10 points at the half. You have a whole second half of football there. That is not the time being down 10 points should at halftime should not make you abandon your game plan. And if that, if that was the reasoning for not going to the run basically at all in the second half and for all tens and purposes, the whole game, I, I think that that's terrible on Todd Munkin and, and, and John Harbaugh's points. Uh, you have to stay dedicated to the run. It's the backbone of your team. And 10 points is not an insurmountable amount in the NFL and something that we didn't talk about yet. And it was directly related to the fact that Baltimore was just pass, pass, pass and not dedicated to the run is time of possession. Kansas city dominated time of possession in this one, 37 minutes to 22 or 37 and a half minutes for Kansas city to 22 and a half for Baltimore. And it's simply because Baltimore was just pass, pass, pass. Didn't want to stay dedicated to the run and Kansas city. Like I said earlier, even though it wasn't always working and clicking, they stuck with the run and they kept Baltimore's defense honest. You certainly have to credit just like sticking to your strengths in a certain, to a certain extent, like the chiefs fed Kelsey early Mahomes completed all of his, all of his first 11 passes in the game. And at one point had 27 completions to Lamar Jackson's five. So on the other side of it, you see Baltimore going away from their identity all year, which was running the football, which is exactly what you and I really, you especially really hit on last week was the running game is going to be way more important for both of these teams than anything else. And you were totally right. And to a certain extent, it looks like it could kind of shade up to be that way uh, next week as well. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, man. Like like not next week, but you know what I mean? Two weeks from now. I got you. Like I said, you know, Pacheco didn't have a phenomenal game. If you just look in his yards, but it's about, giving that or showing that layer of your offense. It's about at least having the threat uh, of running the ball. It's about forcing those safeties to start creeping down those linebackers to start cheating. And it opens up the, the, you know, throws for later in the game. And Mahomes was able, he's always able to hit the timely throws. And when you got safeties and corners and, and whatnot cheating, because there's enough of a threat of the run, that's when Mahomes will do his best work. And, and the Ravens didn't give Lamar the opportunity to do that in this game. Since people have said that, um, 
Mahomes didn't have enough weapons to win a Super Bowl. He's made two. Okay. Since the Tyreek Hill trade, everybody thought that was going to be such a big disaster. Well, the Chiefs have now made another Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill and beat Tyreek Hill's team on the way to said Super Bowl. So uh, I think they are firmly justified now in making that move by quite a good bit, actually, all things considered. If you look at the players that they acquired through draft picks as a result of that trade, Trent McDuffie, for one, only a first-team All-Pro quarterback this year. George Karloftis, who was tied for first on the team with Chris Jones with 10 and a half sacks. And then Leo Chanel, who had eight tackles for loss this year, second on the team behind Chris Jones. There's a couple other guys too, that are like pretty regular contributors for them on their defense as well. This defensive unit is special, man. And they've done such a great job of uh, acquiring talent, but also retaining talent as well. When Mahomes reworked his contract to give the chiefs an extra like 20 million or something to work with, to then re-sign some of their best defensive players Going back to Brady again, that's stuff we saw him do for a good part of his career, trying to make sure he kept his guys around him. That's really hard to do while you're also one of the highest paid guys in the game, you know, and they're pulling the strings in the front office around a generational quarterback, and they're surrounding him now with talent on both sides of the ball. The challenge now is going to be, when Kelsey retires, we don't know when that is. It could be this offseason. It could be three, four offseasons from now, right? How do they rebuild again? And that's down the road, but like that challenge is looming. And then I also kind of Easter egged Andy Reid at some point is going to step away too. I don't know how old he is off the top of my head, but you know, I, I I'm really interested to see. I am so much more interested in what the second half of Patrick Mahomes' career looks like now after this game. Yeah, dude. I, you know, those are hurdles to jump through when when they happen. Kelsey's retirement, Andy Reid's retirement as well. Uh, but in my eyes, as long as they have number 15, they're going to be just fine because he will make weapons. You know, Rasheed Rice was not a, a huge prospect in, in this most recent draft class. He looks like he could be turned into a legit number one because Patrick Mahomes that, you know, somebody else will come along and Patrick Mahomes will make him into a weapon. So I got complete confidence that Mahomes will be just fine, even if some of the uh, the guys that have helped him along the way depart. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Once again, Chiefs 17, Baltimore 10. Uh, Kansas City will face San Francisco in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas in a little less than two weeks. We're recording this on Monday night. Hey, Patrick, I want to I want to take an opportunity here um, before we close and um, to talk about the losers and kind of uh, what things would look like in their future, um, because there was the yeah, first. How did the Ravens that I had, come back next year? The, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a sec. The, the first thought that I had when this game ended, the Kansas City Baltimore game was. Man, isn't it impressive that Joe Burrow was actually able to beat Mahomes? That was the first thought that popped into my head, that Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals were actually able to beat Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago and get to the Super Bowl. And no other quarterback has proven that they can do that. And man, Baltimore, the, the window was never cracked open more than it was this year. You had the supposed down year for Kansas City. Burrow is hurt. So you win the AFC North. Uh, it's only going to get tougher from here. You know, uh, Herbert's got a legit coach now. Stroud's only going to get better. 
you know, you're still going to have Josh Allen in there in the mix. Mahomes is Mahomes. And who knows, you know, you know, the Patriots are in the AFC. They're getting a high pick as well. I'm sure that you're optimistic. Maybe, maybe they draft a really good young quarterback. Baltimore's still going to be good. Don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. (laughs) I won't. That wasn't my intention. But Baltimore (laughs) is still going to be good in the coming years. I I, I do believe that. I think guys like Zay Flowers are going to continue to develop. And Lamar's still going to have some good years ahead. But man, you, you, you can't help but look and say, this might have been the best chance they had to win that Super Bowl. It, it, it might have been. Well, I think to a certain extent, experience plays a factor in these games, right? Like in both conference championship games, we saw the more experienced team win. Both teams were playing teams that have never, those cores had never really been in that game. I mean, Goff would be the exception, obviously, of course, and, and Odell for, for Baltimore, but um I think that means something. I, I think they'll be back in an AFC championship at some point. I don't know when. I don't want to say it's next year because uh, you mentioned Herbert is going to be around now with, with the real coach. They'll I don't wouldn't necessarily say they're a contender right away, but they'll make things tougher. Uh Stroud is only going to get better, you would think. Burrow, of course, is coming back. He's sort of like the sleeping giant right now. And it's him and Brady that have beaten Mahomes head to head in the playoffs. That's it. And him having this year pretty much not off, but missing a lot of this year due to injury is um, a lot of people have forgotten about him. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how he rebounds, how Cincinnati rebounds. They've got a lot of free agents this year. Uh, T Higgins to name a few. Um I don't know. It's, it's a great point. And you would think that the chiefs are going to keep getting better too. Allen, even like, even like Aaron Rodgers is, you would might be healthy and playing next year too. Like the jets have a, have a pretty good factor next year. Yeah. Yeah. Like go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. I was just going to say, and then, and then Lamar's contract is really going to kick in in the coming years. I mean, he's going to be facing 40 up even a couple of years from now, 70 million plus dollar cap hits. So it's, I, it just, it was, it's it's difficult for Ravens fans because I think that this this was the best chance. It might be the best chance they get. Um, and as much as it was, because maybe you could say Kansas City wasn't as dominant this year as in years past. I think you could say because they didn't have to deal with with Joe Burrow in their own division. And I thought it was interesting that that was that was the first thing I thought of um, after this game. But uh, what about the what about the Lions? What what, what about their future in, in the years coming forward? Well, before before I, I jump to that, the Ravens have the tenth youngest average age in the NFL at um, just over twenty seven years. So that's they're not like they're not old, yeah, yeah, they're not There's old. Still development but, there, but they're getting there. Like you would think that this first sort of championship window, quote unquote, if you will, isn't super super long. Um, Especially if, like, I mean, the Browns could be better next year with Chubb being healthy and and maybe Watson puts it together. I don't want to, like, fully put that – I'm not predicting that or anything. I'm just saying that's also a possibility. Like, just other divisional rivals, right? And and the Steelers are somehow a winning team every single year. I I don't think anybody's worried about the Steelers. (laughs) Um. To the Lions point, I think they'll be back in this game. Like it, it's a really crushing loss, and certainly it feels um 
horrendous, right? But they're a really young team, and we've talked before about Gibbs and Laporta and those guys. Even St. Brown is pretty young. Um, Goff, you would assume, is a guy that they feel pretty good with unless there's a way to move to somebody higher, which we've seen them do with Stafford and Goff before. So maybe they're not like opposed to to trading him for somebody of a slightly higher caliber. I, I just don't really know who that guy would be. So it's, it's not really something I'm like considering I like, like maybe, I don't know, maybe like Tua would be a guy bring him oh, from Miami. I don't to, think so. No, just put him in a dome, mm-hmm. right. Get the one seed. He'll never like the, some of the opponents you'd have to play are a little bit easier. Dallas is in a dome, San Francisco, great weather, Los Angeles, great weather. Uh, Seattle sucks. The Northern team sucks in terms of weather, but Otherwise, it's, there's a lot more dome and good weather teams to play against in the NFC. I, I've tried to think about moves for Tua if the Dolphins ever end up going away from him, and you would think it would have to be like domed teams per se, not necessarily just Detroit, but like Oakland or somewhere else like that too could could be an option. Um, that's getting real, like tinfoil Addy. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think Campbell will learn from this experience. I think the players will learn. Um, I think they'll be back and I think they'll be, they'll be better in the future. I, I think they're, they're also um, building on something pretty good. And and while this will hurt them, I think it will also motivate them as well. And, and we've seen what motivation can do for them. Yeah, it should, it should motivate them. It should be a learning experience. And, and we talked, there's, there's plenty of young talent on, on Detroit. So, so there's a lot of growth there um, both mentally and physically within the game, but with, with Detroit, I, I worry for their sake uh, about how good Green Bay is going to be for the next 10, 12 years. I know that you're not quite, maybe not quite as high on Jordan Love as I am, but I think that he's a real problem in this league. And No, and they're I, the second best team in that division right now, for sure, especially with I, how much I, money Kirk is asking for the Vikings from. I think I think that Green Bay I, I will have a real case to win that, that division next year. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting. It, it's like... I think Detroit certainly is going to have the talent to get back to this NFC championship game, but I don't know if the road is going to be as easy as it was this year ever, you know, again, or at least for the next five years or so, because I think they're going to have to really battle with green Bay for that division uh, for the next five, six years, at least. And that could mean going on the road for all of their games, not playing in a dome where Jerry Goff is as comfortable. So, you know, it's devastating that these that these fan bases, these teams got so close, Baltimore and, and Detroit, and, and they came up short. But, you know, it, you wonder how you wonder. It's so difficult to get back here. Dan Campbell even alluded to that. He's like, I don't know if we'll be back. And, you know, with you look at the quarterback talent that these teams are going to have to deal with within their own division in the coming years. You just wonder if they're looking in the mirror and saying this was our best chance. Yeah, no, I. I I can certainly empathize to that. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the NFC is way more wide open than the AFC in terms of who you could predict opponents would be in, in the end of the season games, right? Like, well, yeah, because at there's this no Mahomes point, in the, yeah. in the NFC. Yeah. Like there's the Niners, but then after that, it's like, I, I don't know, like nobody's going to trust Dallas. Still, sure the sure the Packers are going to be better. Okay, great, but like the Rams are there too. They're they're frisky, but they're not awesome. 
You got the Eagles, who we saw melt down at the end of the year. There's no clear-cut, like, second team. And I think the Lions kind of proved that they were. Even just how they played in the first half. We saw it all come crashing down in the second, sure. But for the first two quarters of that game, they were dominant and really took it to San Francisco. Even harder than the than the Packers did, I would say. Um, for sure. But it's... You're right. You can't um, take opportunities like that for granted and just assume it's a given for the next year and the year after that. I think we might see a little bit more consistency to that aspect in in football in some levels. Um, But I I don't know. It's it's a great point that you make for sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't think that either team took their opportunity this year or the, the conference championship game that they played in for granted. I just think that, you know, a lot of things, the dominoes fell right for Baltimore and for Detroit this year, not just in how their seasons went, but how their playoff roads went. And, um, you know, you're, you're just never guaranteed that going forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's crazy. Just the way we're like, how the NFL is starting to shape itself right now around Mahomes and what the chiefs are doing and having this rematch with Shanahan, it's kind of like the young and the old of Andy Reed and, and, and Shanahan going against each other again. Um, Belichick and Reed were great adversaries for a long time. I, I said that I talked about that Super Bowl in Philly where they matched up against each other um, and they went against each other a lot with chiefs and Pats uh, when Mahomes started coming up and this kind of has a little bit of that feel like another, like a young coaching, coaching genius. He's got um, some really, really great players on his team and he's finding a way to maximize them. Uh, Offensive minded. I don't know. It's. Does it feel to you like, these are going to be the two teams we see in the Super Bowl for the next like four or five years almost, or it should be at least. Uh, you know, I hesitate to say that because of what we talked about with how difficult it is to get back uh, to this game. Um, I think Kansas City, you could expect them to, you know, within the next five years, probably make at least two more Super Bowl appearances. San Francisco, uh, you know, I, I don't I mean, know, they made but... it to the NFC championship last year. You could say if they don't right. have to, to go to a no quarterback, they might win that game. Right. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is like the matchup that we could expect for the next four or five years. But if you told me that they squared up at least one more time after this within the next five years, I wouldn't be surprised because you still got Purdy on a, a, a young, uh, exp- uh, inexpensive deal and obviously the chiefs have have Mahomes. so what about twice because we've seen shanahan even get there without purdy he got there with jimmy g too right so i i'll say that there's um that the niners will be in the super bowl or have at least a really good prospect to be in the super bowl one more time in the next five years uh i will not go so far as to say two i think uh, you know a guy like jordan love will step up um some of those other teams that you mentioned in, in the nfc like the eagles could get back on track as well um, I don't think that San Francisco is so dominant or at least as dominant as like Mahomes is in the AFC, you know, where it's like a given that they're going to be there uh, year in and year out. But I'll say that they get back at least one more time after this in the next five. 
Oh, so they're not your greatest team of all time now? You're you're walking that back? <laughs> well, how many times did the 07 the 07 Patriots didn't go to the Super so they went to the Super Bowl in 07, but How many that, Super Bowl appearances do the Patriots have in the last 25 years? But Excuse they you? did but they didn't go to a Super Bowl um uh no, maybe they did with uh they went a couple years later and still they did lost a the couple Giants. years before where they beat the Eagles and they had lost against the Giants and went back a couple years after. And they only mixed in a few other AFC championship game appearances as well. Right. But they, they had one. Um, maybe they made what two more Super Bowls in the next five years. But um, like I said, I mean, I, like I'm only comparing the 2023 49ers team to the 2007 Patriots team. I'm not comparing the 49ers as a dynasty to, to the dynasty that was the Patriots of the two thousands. Any other big takeaways from this weekend, either game, anything else you want to, you want to mention? Mahomes is great. Uh, the two best coaches in the NFL are coaching in the Super Bowl, and I can't wait for it, man. We'll see who wins Super Bowl 58 in a couple of weeks. I'm stoked for it. I'm really, really stoked for it. We are going to have plenty of content coming out for that week um definitely going to be doing uh, a lot of previews we'll have some predictions we'll have uh, an episode going over some betting stuff some some props and, and things maybe you guys can look at and all sorts of different things as well um fifth and long fans get some sleep enjoy don't forget to uh take your vitamins drink your water all that jazz. Oh, I forgot to take my vitamins today. <laughs> Don't forget to take your vitamins, Paul. I actually was outside a ton today. I was I was doing all my work outside. It was nice out for uh, for a good portion of the afternoon. It was like seventy degrees and sunny. You got awesome. you got that got that nature's vitamins there. I see. Oh yes, exactly. The natural uh, natural vitamins. Um, <laughs> Paul, my friend, thanks for coming on again. Uh, can't wait to talk some more football, some more basketball on the way soon as well indeed indeed appreciate you having me patrick had a blast uh i'll just close with this steelers have eight all-time super bowl appearances the 49ers have seven god bless everyone <laughs> all right good night fifth and long fans we'll see you next week right here on the fifth and long podcast